0: The drawn today podcast where we encourage you to draw every day in this episode Aaron and I will be talking to Pat Wilshire the founder of Elixcon about this upcoming convention as well we'll be discussing advice for artists on how to be more successful selling to a collector audience you Uh, welcome to the Drawn Today Podcast. Uh we got another episode here. Um Aaron and I are going to be talking to Pat Wilshire, the uh founder of ILXCon, and uh get his ideas about uh and, and whatever additional um sort of advice and and uh insight from the collector standpoint we can gather because uh I think uh, Pat is uh, he's in tune with that side of the biz, so we thought that would be interesting to get, um, to get the, the buyer's perspective on a lot of um, the questions that artists may have. So uh, my name is Mike Sass. My website is sassart.com and sassart.blogspot.com. And uh, Aaron?
1: Uh, my name's Aaron Miller, and I'm at aaronbmiller.com.
2: And Pat? My name is Pat Wilshire, and uh, all of the information about the show is at www.elixcon.com.
0: All right, Pat. Well, why don't you uh, give us a little bit of a history and an overview of what exactly Elixcon is for, for people that might be new to it or um, have just heard about it but, but want more specific details, and, and maybe you can talk about what it's evolving into right now.
2: Sure. Well, Elixcon was initially designed, and in fact still is, um, as a mixture of an academic symposium and an exhibition. Um, It is designed to give uh, attendees, as well as the exhibiting artists, an opportunity to interact very closely and very intimately with both each other and with a ridiculously large number of traditional media artwork, uh, paintings, drawings, sculptures. The, the main show itself, uh, of which there are actually two components, uh, is restricted to only traditional media work. So all of the artists at the show, even though some of them may also work digitally, uh, are exhibiting traditional media. And it's designed to be kind of the cream of the crop, Um, you know, unlike, you know, most of the other shows, uh, the main show and the weekend salon at IlexCon are both juried. Um, And uh, we have a a wide range of jurors. We rotate the jurors every year, uh, drawing from both within the field of fantasy and science fiction art to museum curators and museum directors, to publishers and editors. Um, and and so to try to give it a really good mix, but to also ensure that the work is being evaluated uh, and the artists that are exhibiting are not just the coolest or the hippest or the hottest or, or the newest, but the best that the field has to offer. Um, And that's kind of in further in furthering of that mission uh, is part of why we've made the move with the show for this year. Um, In the past, the show has taken place in Altoona, Pennsylvania at a, a a very nice facility here. Um, But starting with this year's show, it's actually going to be hosted at the Allentown art museum um, in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and it will be opened up more to the public on the weekend than it has been in the past. Um, and part of what we're hoping to do is to expose not only members of the public who are fans of, of the genre or of the imagery to give them an opportunity to see the work in the flesh, but also to reach more broadly outside of fandom um, to reach people who are just Art fans um, who who may not read or or know or care about science fiction, fantasy, gaming, but just like art, Um, and to give them a chance to to see the work and and to see the artists in an art setting um, as opposed to a convention setting, and um, you know, we we started last year. With uh, we we curated an exhibition at the Allentown Museum uh, called "At the Edge: Art of the Fantastic," which was the largest and most comprehensive exhibition of fantastic art or imaginative realist art that has ever been mounted in a mainstream art museum. And that show was a runaway success. It, it broke the museum's attendance records. Um, it was tremendously popular up and down and across the board from, you know, young people to 80 year old ladies and pearls.
1: <laughs> did they, did they share any of that? Uh, their statistics, like the, the breakdown for the business side, or they just give you the numbers?
2: Uh, they, they, they basically just, it, we, we have the numbers, um, you know, in terms of, you know, all of the dollars and cents of the show. Cool. Uh, we were fortunately as removed from that as possible, other than them telling us, no, you can't afford to do this. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, but, but the, the, the main thing about the show, the, the main thing we were happiest with about the show is that our, our aim was kind of to show, you know, I mean, a, to, to make this amazing show people could see and really, really connect with the art, uh, but also almost as a proof of concept. Uh, to show that if you take this art and you remove it from its publication context and you present it as art in an art context, um, that people who are not in any way related to the field, interested in the field, having anything to do with the field, will in fact respond to the art as art. Um, and and that worked fabulously well um it was really interesting we uh when we were doing the docent tours uh right before the opening of the show uh we had to kind of take the the group of museum docents around and kind of give them sort of an overview so that they would be able to help you know other attendees and uh and you know i was leading the docent tour and, and Jeannie was kind of at the back and many of the docents had not met us and didn't didn't know Jeannie was was associated with the whole process. Uh, and so she got to overhear some conversations um, and there were some really interesting conversations that she overheard of, of docents saying, wow, you know, I thought this was going to be awful. But this is amazing. And that kind of summed up in a nutshell, a lot of what we were trying to do with that show. And that we're trying to continue with Illuxcon at Allentown.
0: That sounds really interesting. Um, can you talk maybe more on a in a broader sense? Like I think we all sort of understand the changes in publishing and the changes in technology and how traditionally painted illustration is. Um, you know, it's it's being more it's a very difficult thing to do in today's marketplace with the budgets and the deadlines and expectations. Uh, Can you comment maybe on those pressures and how they're affecting the, uh, the field from the collector standpoint and also the, uh, the efforts that you guys are putting into furthering and enhancing illustrations, overall artistic image and how those two things are, either balancing each other off or if there's an overall increase or or decrease in this field as as general growth goes can you just maybe comment on some of the overall trends that you see in the field
2: sure um well as you pointed out and this is you know fairly obvious uh to anyone you know involved even peripherally in the field um you know being a traditional media illustrator in this field is a whole lot harder than it used to be. Um, you know, that you, you're, you're immediately at a disadvantage simply because you cannot work as quickly. You can't make changes as quickly. Um, you know, you're, you're, photographing or scanning work as opposed to just sending a file. Um, you know, and, and, and it really makes it challenging because so many artists are working digitally. Um, and that the publishers are, you know, quite effectively able to structure their deadlines, their schedules, their pay rates based on digital work. Um, And that's not really a very effective mechanism for traditional artists, uh, you know, who can't, you know, produce a painting in four hours, uh, unless they're Jeff Easley, (laughs) uh, who's the fastest painter in the history of the world. Uh, but even Jeff can't produce a good painting in four hours, and and so it, it really creates a major issue. That if you want to be a, a traditional media artist, you want to work in this field, and you don't want to live in a box. Um, you've got to have the opportunity to sell your original paintings. That's how you compensate. You can't do as much work, you can't take as many gigs, and so you compensate by being able to sell those originals right. uh, which in fact can more than compensate uh you know in 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 many cases and and so that's something that has always been. And it meant for a lot of artists it, it it was kind of an extra you know they they some artists they would like to sell paintings, but it wasn't really a concern they would sell some they would not sell some you know they don't don't care whether they sell or not you know and and now there's a lot less of that um now it's very much kind of in the yeah if i'm gonna do this i I really need to be able to to sell stuff um and so as a result, one of the things that we think. Has to happen. Um, it, this is this is you know a has to or else uh, kind of thing. Um, is that the collector base has to expand, and fandom? You know the the science fiction fantasy fandom is only going to expand so much. Um, I mean, it's already pretty broad, but there's a difference between being a fan of the art and spending thousands of dollars on the art, and so. What we have been really trying to reach out to and really trying to work with are the the groups and the collectors of realist painting um as there's a lot of bleed over between you know some of the contemporary realist painters and you know folks within the field or the imaginative realist painters, and we think that is the area where there's the biggest potential to draw new collectors who are serious collectors, who will patronize the artists in the field Um, because that doesn't work. Then the artists in this field are going to.
0: That sounds like a good plan. Um, I think we can move into some of the questions we had pre-written because that they flow naturally from, from your statements there. Um, I know that you've been tracking sales at Elixcon over the past few years. I've seen you write down numbers and sort of poll the artists informally after. Um, and I know it's going to be kind of difficult to talk about trends because we're just coming out of, you know, the big economic recession. Um, so it's, you know, without decades of data. But... Uh, are there any trends that you think are happening in the marketplace, and uh, what things outside of Illuxcon have given you hope that the genre is is gaining acceptance and that this field is is growing um, from a sales standpoint?
2: Well, the the, the trends. I mean, the, the the positive thing is. Uh, I mean, now uh, again, of course, we, we had the advantage, in air quotes. Um, you know of, of starting kind of at the nadir of <laughs> the u s economy uh, in the back half of the of the 20th and early 21st century um, but the sales at Iixcon have gone up every year um, the you know, ilixcon five, the total sales for Elixcon five were just about maybe a hair under double the sales at ilixcon one huh.
0: um,
2: and that 's among basically the same number of artists. So it's it's very, it's positive in the sense. I mean, and of course, you know, I, you know, am interacting with collectors all year. Uh, I mean, they don't just buy at Ilixcon. Uh, You know, they're, they're busy buying left and right as I'm encouraging them to save some money for Elixcon. But they're, they're <laughs> left and right. Um, so there's a lot going on. There's a lot of, there's a lot of involvement. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, over the past couple of years, new collectors who've kind of come into the field. Uh, there've been some very odd kind of one-off events. Uh, you know, this year is going to be a banner year for the fantastic art field because of a single collector who is basically providing his own version of the economic stimulus plan, um, to the field as he's, uh, buying huge amounts of artwork um at, at really, really high prices to create a TSR museum in London. Um, so there's there's been those kinds of things going on where it's good, it's positive, there's there's an increase, it's not enough, but it it's looking up. And it's been really positive to see the reaction that things like At the Edge or IlixCon have gotten from some of the artistic community. Um, as in, you know, I mean, some of the, you know, we've had as IlixCon judges, you know, we've had the curators from the Brandywine and the Delaware Museum serve as judges for IlixCon. Um, you know, we've had articles on At the Edge and on IlixCon upcoming in Fine Art Connoisseur magazine
0: have Uh, you found these things like a a hard sell or is the or was it initially a hard sell and getting easier uh
2: it's it's getting easier it actually was initially it wasn't as much of a hard sell as as i i thought it might be initially it just required some it required evidence Mm um you know when we first contacted the art renewal center uh, to say, you know, hey, we we we've got you know we we've got similar goals here. Uh you know, we're we're kind of a, a subset of of classical realism. And uh there was well, you know, these did what they actually said was, well, you know, send send us send us a PowerPoint. Send us a send us some examples. And so we put together a fifty or sixty page PowerPoint presentation. Um, You know, focusing on a lot of the greatest, you know, modern, you know, 1970, you know, onwards uh, arts in the field and said, well, here, you know, these people are as good as anybody that you're you're showing as realist painters. Um, And they looked at it and said, yeah, you're right. And so, you know, we, we began talking with them and and working with them and, and actually just this past year, uh, they actually added an imaginative realism category to their annual salon. Um, you know, so there's now an entire category for that. And so it, it wasn't difficult, but it required, it required some explanation, yeah, a little um,
1: bit of persistence, too.
2: <laughs> it required putting the art in context, uh, which is something that, that hasn't been done enough.
0: I guess what that says to me, I think we all agree that the substance is there, so you know, the you'll be able to sell it as a concept. But what it also says to me is that maybe the pre-existing understanding or knowledge isn't there, that the assumption isn't there that the, the profile without support isn't there. So do you see those things as changing?
2: Um we're we're working on it. Uh that that is very much the case. Um the the what we've kind of gotten is the, the the there there's well there's two ends. There's there's the public perception and then there's the educated art establishment perception. Um, and, and the public perception is still kind of bug-eyed monsters, glow-in-the-dark t-shirts at Spencer's, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And the, the perception, really, that, that we've found in, in the, the more critical art community, and I don't mean critical art community in the sense of, like, the New York Times art critics who wouldn't know a decent piece of art if it bit them in the ass, um, I mean, but the people who are working like the Brandywine, like the Delaware, like the Rockwell, like the, you know, where, where they're they're working with realist painting was that they honestly hadn't really ever given it much of any thought at all. Um, and, and we're just very unfamiliar. And and so, you know, part of it is just, you know, being able to place the contemporary work in a context of a longer artistic tradition and say, here, you know, this is a continuation, a contemporary branch of this tradition that you're not familiar with and you should look at.
0: I think that that brings us perfectly to the next question of, so if general realist, classical realist art has credibility or a built-in audience or clout, how, how did they get that? Where did that come from, and how do we bridge the illustration, quote unquote, fine art price gap?
2: Well, there, there's a couple of things. I mean, one, the the, the the in in 2013, um, you know, from a a broad art criticism perspective, realist painting is still the gutter. Uh, you know, they it, it it's still not respected nearly as it should be it's getting better
1: do you think that that's a regional issue because that i don't think that's the issue out west where the the this fine art price gap market thing seems to that's where that exists whereas it almost seems like the the imaginative realist um if it's a movement or a resurrection um it seems to be it having its own region in the in in the uh in the east.
0: I'm thinking maybe not regional in that sense, but more how high you go up the ladder is is how the difference is spread out between acceptance and non acceptance. Like when I look at my local museums and when I look at the curatorial directions of the you know power brokers installed in you know public institutions those seem to be the people that want their their name on the bill and want the bill to be sold as is being you know shocking and new and interesting and and all the things that you know only shocking new and air quotes interesting work can give them so what do you think pat is it regional or is it what I'm saying more a matter of uh, how, how far the bureaucracy is up the ladder is how far the acceptance is reaching.
2: Um, I, I think it's, it's, it's more of, uh, it, I, I think it's definitely more of a bureaucratic kind of structure. Um, you know, the, the, the entire contemporary fine art market, the the broader contemporary fine art market is kind of built around a, critic slash gallery model that developed in the early part of the 20th century um, and it's a, a self-sustaining model um, and, and it has a, a reason for it and it not coincidentally coincided with the modernist break um, after the first world war and so since then you know, representational art has been kind of at, at the bottom of the totem pole because it's old-fashioned, um, and you know it's not an accident that you know, uh, you know finding of Moses sold for, I believe it was about three hundred pounds in the nineteen sixties, uh, which was actually far less than it sold for in the late nineteenth century in the first place. Um, recently, you know, sold for many many millions. Um, so it's kind of coming back, but it was denigrated for a long time. Um, and even now, if you, for example, if you are looking for, uh, like a, a, a fine arts program, uh, like an art history degree, and you go looking at the programs, uh, your university level, you know, programs and fight and you look for 19th century, romantic pre-raphaelite Victorian academic um, you know artists and, and classes you will find almost nothing that is even being offered in most of the art history programs and so so on one hand you know we in the imaginative realist field are kind of part of this broader issue of you know the critical establishment at this point has issues with Lots of things that are representational narrative painting, um and then on top of that, we are seen in some cases to be quote unquote weird uh,
1: <laughs> which is kind of funny compared to this stuff that that used to be weird in the art world
2: it, It's like yes, no, lovely you know paintings on broken plates, yeah, that's perfectly normal, that makes absolute sense. Um, You know, so so there's kind of that sort of issue Um, and and museums have really spent a lot of time, a lot of museums, a lot of institutions have have kind of moved in the direction now, which is helpful and not helpful, um, are kind of moving in the direction of, well, whatever we do needs to be safe. It needs to be popular in the sense of it's got to make money. Um, you know, budgets are tight, funding is tight. And so you get the umpty nth Monet exhibition, you get the umpty nth Picasso, you get the umpty nth Warhol, um, you know, because institutions know that those are going to be popular and people are going to come and they're going to make money.
0: I I know exactly what you're talking about. We just went to the museum in our, in our city here last weekend and it was like, uh, from you know, from Rembrandt to Monet, you know, the, some some title like that for the exhibition where they've they've trotted out a couple really crappy tiny works by big names that then they can put a shallow exhibition together and and throw the big names on the on the playbill and everybody'll go. Mm-hmm. So how do you guys? How do we? Uh, like I said, back to the original question: How do we bridge that? fine art price gap and I guess going along with that, how do we develop our names or our clout?
2: Well, the, the, the price gap, um, is kind of a whole separate issue. Um, and, and, and we've, I, I see many questions coming up, moving into that, that kind of category. Um, I think that one of the, the key things that we need to do, um, and this is referencing back to earlier that this work needs to be presented in the context of serious art. Um, People tend to, people tend to respond to things based on expectations that they have. Um, And so when someone goes to a museum uh, to see a show or see artwork, they have an expectation That what they're seeing has been, quote unquote, vetted in some way. Um, That what they're seeing is valuable. That what they're seeing has significance and it has substance. And so they are then able to view that work without negative preconceptions. Whereas if, on the other hand, you were to lead a bunch of people into San Diego Comic-Con... Um, as they went past these Slave Leias and the Stormtroopers. Anything that they see there is going to have a different context. And we, we explained it as like, it's the difference between presenting, you know, one of Frazetta's Conan paintings as here is Conan, the cover of the Lancer Books 1967 edition Of featuring Robert E. Howard's stories of the great muscle-bound barbarian, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Um, or just putting the painting on the wall and saying there's an amazing, amazing, powerful work of art and letting people see it with the context of art and not the context of Conan, Lancer books, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think that's a key thing that, that needs to happen. This this the art it needs to be somewhere. It needs to be more visible. It needs to be more seen outside of fandom Um, because a it needs to have that context and b, if it's going to gain a broader acceptance, it's got to be seen by people who aren't already fans. Um, That's the big problem with with some of the other initiatives or things that have been done in the past is it's great to reach out to fans um, and 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 broaden the horizons of fans and expose them to new artists in the field and new work in the field and and, and better work in the field. But it's still in the field. There's still fans. The fan base is finite. You've can we got- riff
0: off that a bit? Can so I, I 100% agree with what you're saying, and I love it that you're into the psychology of it. That you can <clears throat> that you can sort of evaluate your actions. Um, you know, from this, from a very pragmatic standpoint. So if we're talking about the context being such a powerful signifier and qualifier, how do we, you know, on the other 364 days of the year that we're not at illuxcon how do we as artists then frame our work in a better light? Um, generally when we're doing shows in our own town or when we're self-promoting or when we're, presenting ourselves for, for regional opportunities. Um, can you give us some advice as artists in, in order to, to tackle the sort of framing issues that, that you've been thinking
2: about? Well, I, I think, I think you've got the, the key. The key is finding opportunities, any opportunities uh, to start with. finding opportunities that are outside of the field and outside of the genre. Um, you know, for example, we, we have beaten people over the head to if you're going to submit to stuff and some people don't submit to competitions and they don't submit to, to things and that's fine. But if you're going to submit, submit to the ARC salon because it's has a very high visibility within the, you know, comparatively small realist art community. But that's our first step. That's the first place we need to get to um, it, it is to be a, a solid, recognized, known and accepted part of that community. Um, and they have a very high visibility within that community. Um, as you say, you know, local shows, um, you know, anything I, I know at uh, one of the museums in Ohio, like, Chris Seaman had a show um, of, of his stuff last year. Um, you know, any anything that you can do like that to get your work in front of people who wouldn't normally see it, um, I think that's that's the key factor. I think for too long we've been too insular. Um, we 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 we've been too incestuous in 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 the field, um, and, and we're not getting out. And, and what we've found is that any time that we've, we've in any way, shape, or form exposed people outside the field to the work, they've responded very positively. Uh, I mean, almost across the board. And, and the more of that we can do, the better. And I think that's probably the best thing that can be done kind of on an individual level, digital artistic level. Um, is to really work and really take any kind of opportunity that you can with that. Um, the second thing, which which gets into some of the some of the other questions and, and even into some of the the price gap questions, um, is to think about the work that you're doing. Um, you know, if if you go and and if you 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 look at you know the wadsworth athenum or you go and you look at any of the you know museums with the with really great realist you know figurative narrative collections you know, you'll notice some things about the work that are often particularly today um are not particularly duceive to the current illustration market um and, and so one of the things that we think it, it is really critical for a wide variety of reasons we can go into um, is that artists in the field, artists wanting to do that, artists wanting to make the connection both in, without outside the field and with collectors in the field. Uh, I mean, this is an upcoming thing. This is kind of a broad level thing here is you've got to be doing personal work. You've got to be doing major paintings. And if no one is commissioning you to do major paintings, then you got to do them yourself. Um, that, those kinds of work are what will provide the impact that you need both outside the field and inside the field. Um, you know, magic is wonderful, magic is fabulous, magic is great, magic has allowed this field to survive. Um, it's an amazing thing. But when we sent samples to the Art Renewal Center, we weren't sending them 8x10 Magic Card paintings as examples. Um, And there's a reason for that, because there's only so much you can do with an 8x10 Magic Card painting. You know, limited time, limited deadline, limited budget. There's only so much you can do. And it's really important that artists take the opportunity when, when they have an opportunity, when, when, they, when they have a local event, when they have an activity, when they put up a website, they put up a blog, they come to illuxcon you know, whatever, that, that they show off the absolute most amazing thing that they are possibly capable of painting. Um, you know, one of the knocks on illustration broadly um, has always been that it's haphazard. Uh, it it's slapdash um, because, well, they know it's going to go and it's going to get reproduced down to paperback cover size and so, you know, the finish and the detail and the quality aren't there and the artists are painting relatively small because it's quick, just want to get it done move on to the next thing that's been one of the big knocks on illustration uh, and in some cases, it's true um, I mean, that, that that is not a baseless uh, in, in all cases
1: Right. Well, the, there's not much difference from that and what's happening in the fine art world, um, with outside of the, the realist, you know, I, I, I've worked with enough fine artists who finish as quickly as they can and the, under similar circumstances trying to get ready for, uh, a gallery show. Um, so, I mean, the perceptions out there is 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 valid, but it certainly does happen in the in the fine art world too. They oh. they have their own deadlines.
2: Oh, it certainly does. I mean, I'm I, I'm not saying that you know that that that's not the case.
0: I think what you're saying, Pat, is if if there's a a preconception that illustration has these limitations or shortfalls or shortcomings that you need to double your efforts in the areas that people are looking for it to fail on, which is scope and finish and polish and, you know, being outside of a, a commercial usage limitation.
2: Exactly. Um, I, I, I think it, it's a case of that, that, that's, that, that's a knock. And so that's some, because the thing is, you know, the, the artists in this field, produce wonderful paintings and, and, and wonderful work. Um, you know, that they, they are entirely capable of doing that and they do that. You know, what's important is that that's what we show. But so uh, a
0: question that is related to that then, um, I mean, an artist might be able to do that a few times a year, but on the flip side, can you talk about the association with franchises and characters and publishing that is a positive aspect for the illustration or what trends or or what uh what strategies from that vantage point because those are things that are more likely you know going to be represented in in the 80% of what an artist does in a year is the clients they choose the uh you know the things within the assignment that happen. So, can you talk about that?
2: Sure. Um, th- th- there's a, there's a definite you know bonus um, to having those kind of connections. Uh, I mean, and, and in no way you know are are we encouraging artists not to do that or not to do those. Um, you know, you know, a couple of of major personal works a year is great. That's fine. That's that's you know you don't need to go all that way or even mostly that way, um, you know. And, and from a from a sales perspective, you know, from a, from a marketing perspective, you know, there is a draw. You know, there are people who collect magic card paintings. You know, there are people who collect. You know, there are people who collect. You know, Warcraft paintings. You know, there are people who collect Conan. There are people who collect Edgar Rice Burroughs. Um, you know, so there is a draw to those kinds of things Um, you know, and and it is a marketable draw the, you know, all that we were, all that I was referring to was that you, you really ought to have not only that, but also, you know, not just the draw of wizards of the coast, but also the draw of Aaron Miller.
0: Woohoo! Man, I can't do that, <laughs> <laughs> but what you're saying is if when you want to go past the limitations of the fanboy market or the or the possible downside of being associated with the negative aspects in quotes of the fantasy genre, then you have to push the scale, push the scope and and subtract yourself from that association
2: um. The next well, question then would be – I don't think you have to subtract yourself from that association. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a, a believer in the you know, people that move to the galleries and then deny that they ever illustrated.
0: Yeah, no, I don't mean that. I mean like once in a while in order for, say, a piece to sell for more or for you to expand your market.
2: Yeah, it, it, the, the, the key is I think it, it's, it's, it's being able to stand out. Um, you know, it's being able to 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 produce a work or produce pieces or produce stuff that will that will that will be striking, that will stand out, that will catch people's attention, that will be. Whoa. And that's both inside the field and outside the field. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you go to Ilixcon, you know, and you're exhibiting at Ilixcon, there's a boatload of paintings at Ilixcon. Uh, I mean, there are tons. And. It's very you – know, and if you've got that piece that everybody walking by just stops and looks at, that's a big plus. Um, even within a grouping purely within the genre, that's a significant bonus. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and you're it, not going to do that in, in four days for a, a card assignment.
2: No, not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I mean it, it's, that's just the reality. And, and the reality is – you can't spend more than four days on a card assignment. I, mean,
1: I you do. I'm not
2: paying you any money. You know. I mean, you, you just you can't do it. You can't. Um, you know. But but there have been some a couple there have been some artists who found some kind of interesting sort of uh, tactics uh, that they're using uh, that maybe like I, I know um, uh, for one uh, Lars Grant West um has has mentioned what he's one of the things he's doing, of course he does you know a lot of magic cards. Um and one of the things that I noticed he did at IlexCon last year is he when he got his magic card assignments, he looked at his assignments for the year and he looked at his as he go he would identify hey this one, this this particular art order, this one would make a really significant painting. And so that one, he painted at, you know, 24 by 30, you know, with a lot of detail and a lot of, you know, much more than was justified for the the card rate because he knew he could sell it. And the ones that weren't, the ones that was, you know, the bracers of John time where it's, you know, an arm and a brace or whatever, you know, those he painted in, in four days at, you know, your, your standard thing because, yeah, that's not going to make you know, a significant saleable piece. And, you know, that seemed to work for him very well because he, had two pieces he had done like that, two very large detailed pieces that were magic card paintings. Um, and he sold them both within about the first hour of the show.
0: Right. Um, let's move in a little more closely then to the aspects of what uh, motivates collectors. Um, one of the questions we have is what most likely triggers a purchase the price the artist the future value for reselling subject a certain empty space you have on on a wall in a house how about prestige or status or recognition of the franchise what what are the things that uh, are the most common that you think
2: well, it, it's it's actually the answer is all of the above except for the empty space on the wall. Um, you know, there are a lot of collectors. They collect for different reasons. Um, you know, as like I said, you know there there are people who collect Edgar Rice Burroughs, um, and they buy Edgar Rice Burroughs and they don't buy anything that's not Edgar Rice Burroughs, and they want all the Edgar Rice Burroughs stuff they can get. Um, you know. There are people who just kind of collect what they like. They see something and they like it, um, and then they acquire it. There are people who have detailed, you know, well thought out, multi year plan want lists. Um, you know, where they're 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 building a collection of the the leading lights. Um, so it, it, there there really isn't a consistent thing other than. In most cases, um, good is, is is kind of the key. Um, you know the, the the fame or the stature of the artist honestly does not make a huge difference in the decision to buy. It makes a difference in the price that a collector is willing to pay. Um, you know but but I don't necessarily see that the you know, young up and coming person is less desirable just that you know they're not going to pay as much money uh, okay
0: so like this sub thousand dollar price point
2: per- perhaps mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: yeah it's it's the 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 the, the price point is, is is kind of an amorphous thing now it's been moving um and it's moving up which is a good thing um i mean if i you know just desperately wish i could still buy paintings for what i was buying them for 17 years ago um you know so so there there is an increase there is a there is a a a branching um but the the biggest thing to keep in mind in terms of pricing in terms of that sort of pricing thing is that most major collectors at least i mean you know you know, not the, you may have the person they own a painting or two or three, but you know, most people that are serious that would call themselves a serious collector, um, you know, have a, a pricing structure kind of in their head, right? You know, it, it's it's all sort of built in and and around um, where where they kind of have a, a general sort of concept of what the pricing schemes sort of across the board are. Um, and so when they look at okay, you know, here I'm in front of artist X's table and I'm looking at artist X's work, um, and I'm seeing the the prices on artist X. I also know what the pricing structure is for artist A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. And so I'm not only looking at the price of this relative to this artist and this piece, but also relative to these other artists and these other pieces uh, makes life complicated for, for you guys.
1: <laughs> so that you're, you're comparing does Does that affect you in terms of, well, that guy's not ready to charge a price that high yet, or
2: I, I, I have heard that statement made, um, you know, uh, a, a number of times.
0: Are you just basically asking yourself, do I want to spend this amount of money on this painting? Because there's, other good stuff that might be cheaper.
2: Well, what you get is it's not even it, it, it's it's a case of that that's and that's a, an important thing actually to to keep in mind that, that sometimes gets kind of overlooked um, is that there there are really there are very very few collectors who only collect one artist um, or or only collect one thing. You know, you know, most of the, they 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 collect a range of stuff. Uh, and a range of of items, and and they want you know they like enough. There's a bunch of artists whose work they like, and the vast majority of the collectors in this field at this point in time are not wealthy. Um, you know they, there are of course some exceptions, but by and large, you know they're your middle middle upper class. They're not wealthy. They're not rich, and they can't buy everything that they want. And so every time they buy something it's a trade-off. it's uh well if i buy, if I, you know, I can get this but not these i can get these but not this i can and and they might like all of those artists equally. and so that's where you get into that kind of trade-offy thing and you get it even more at something like Ilixcott, uh than you do in the normal day-to-day, you know, buying stuff online, searching for artwork, you know, whatever. um it's, it's, it's always that either or decision that the collector has to make. And so they might decide that, hey, you know, I'd rather buy four $2,000 pieces from these four artists who I really like instead of buying one major $8,000 piece from this artist whom I also really like, you know, and the painting is worth $8,000 but I'd rather have these other four. And hmm. so it makes it a very complicated kind of process. And and so the end result is that you are probably better off to just kind of work within your pricing structure, provide the most awesome stuff that you can and just kind of, you know, trust that it will work because try, kind of trying to, to second guess the structure and, well, how do I entice collector A to buy my piece, you know, instead of his piece is probably a, a, a kind of a futile gesture.
1: Right, right. Well, what about a couple of things um, along those lines where we were earlier talking about an illustrator not putting their best in because the rates are low? but if if they're looking at what some fine art artists are getting and then they look at their own prices in in the genre then couldn't couldn't there be some of that uh happening as well or potential for that that well even if i can sell this original what what's the big deal because i can only get Around X amount for it, so why am I going to spend a month on it? For like we were talking about a sub thousand dollar price bracket, it's still you start to wonder how much time you can actually put into it when there's still not a lot of value for the original.
2: Well, the 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 key is in that. I mean, you're absolutely right in that. The the key is that your 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 goal, presumably your eventual goal is to not spend the rest of your life in that sub thousand dollar price bracket
1: right right no i, I know it's a it's yeah. it could be someone chasing their tail and and doing something maybe for the wrong reasons um but i it's just it could still it's still kind of there a little
2: bit well, the, the the other the other key thing to keep in mind i mean as far as that that topic goes um is that when when you do Like you spend a month on you do the major piece, you know, the 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 whole benefit is not even selling that major piece. Uh, That'd be a great benefit. But that major piece is also drawing attention to everything else that you do. Um, And it's drawing attention to you as an artist and it's drawing attention to your work and it's showing your capabilities The important thing to remember is that art collectors are generally not particularly inclined to judge or evaluate an artist based on their potential. They tend to judge or evaluate them based on what they see.
1: Right, right. Which is why it can be hard to get a a private uh, commission because it's like they they just want to buy it already done and they've already seen it.
2: Well, no, it's not that. Um, because private commissions are becoming actually fairly popular, um, but what it is is the collector is not going to commission an artist to do a major complex thirty by forty oil unless they 've seen that artist paint a major complex thirty by forty oil <laughs> yeah. that 's one, but you need to know that they can do it you know if all if all you 've seen is a bunch of 11 by 14 card art paintings. And there might be very good card art paintings, but it's not the same thing as a major, large, complex work. Right. And collectors are hesitant to say, yeah, I'm going to promise to hand over X thousand dollars. When I haven't seen this happen. Um, you know, whereas Once they see it, even though it's not their piece, they didn't buy it, it had nothing to do with it, but they see it. They see, oh, okay, that is what a large, major Aaron Miller painting looks like. Then that goes into the memory banks. And then they will evaluate the, the purchase of an Aaron Miller painting based on that. And that's where it's so important to have those paintings. I'll give you an example. Um, from Ilixcon last year. Um, last year was was John Harris's second year at IlluxCon. The first year he came, he did uh, he painted a number of small pieces that were designed and calculated to fit into a large suitcase. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's what I did. And, and he painted them, and he put he came and put them up, um, and they of course were were wonderful, as all of John Harris's paintings are, um, and he sold one at the show along with some, some pastel sketches. So the second year he came back to the show, Uh, he did largely the same thing. Um, The pieces this time were maybe fractionally larger, but they were really pretty much the same. They were in the same kind of price bracket. They were in the same kind of structure. However, he was one of the commissioned painters for Elixcon that year. And so he also had hanging in his, wall section the commissioned painting that he did for the show which was 42 by 60 and brilliant so we have this so he has this instead of these he has the small paintings in year one in year two we have the giant painting surrounded by all the small paintings Um, in year two john sold every painting that he brought then put up prints of paintings he had at home and sold them off the wall. Now, there's no particular reason for the difference other than the fact that that large, major painting, even though it wasn't even for sale at the show, was a draw. It's a draw. It has impact. People say, wow, that is amazing. This guy is amazing. I need something.
1: That's really good insight. That's awesome.
2: That is a benefit that you can get from those major works. It's like
0: proof of your genius.
2: (laughs) I, I literally just not three weeks ago was talking to a friend of mine, collector friend of mine. It's a major, major collection. Um, who had just sold a bunch of pieces and had a big chunk of money to spend and was buying stuff and told me that, yeah, he now had this open, you know, this, this, he needed a, he wanted a, a really big piece for this. And so he was going to commission Matt Stewart to do a really big commission for him because he really liked the Battle of the Five Armies piece that Matt did for Elixir. Now, that was like four years ago that Matt did that painting.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: you know won a chesley award for it Won the, you know, he's still getting commissions off of specifically because of that painting so there's there's a benefit that goes now and of course if you sell the big painting that's awesome of course that's 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 much awesome but that isn't the only benefit and that's not the sole purpose to doing that if that makes sense
1: well, right right
0: it's almost like the difference between you know, I don't know, I'm trying to think of some some analogy to like fishing, you know, fishing with a little rod with little bait, you're just going to catch little fish all the time. You spend your time building a
2: bigger rod, you know, boom. Exactly, exactly, and and you know, and 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 I I really think that's that's a lot of you know a, a lot of what what the, the the scenario is is that those the, those key pieces need to be there and now you have the advantage that that year after year after year as time goes by the art collectors are becoming as a group not every last one but as a group are becoming less and less concerned about publication um you know they're, they're less and less concerned about where was it published if it was published you know more and more and more they really don't care
1: right they don't really have a choice much anymore either since there's less of it showing
2: up. Well, and, there's still there's still plenty. Well, and uh, it's
0: not like this stuff has like Spider Man or Batman on it. Like the franchises, you know, they're not as much character based in our genre as they are association with a game and and that publishing of that image might be buried deep within some source book or some you know, hundreds and hundreds of cards from years ago. So I would think that stuff would just get lost a lot faster or not as out of the gate, not as high a profile.
2: Well, interestingly, you know, it used to be the case. And and I say used to be, I'm I'm back. Like when I started this whole, you know, nonsense, um, in the, in the mid, mid nineties, um, there there was actually because I heard this I mean I you know that uh you know well where was the painting the painting okay well, where was it published oh well it's not published uh, oh well, I'm not interested in it um you know there there was actually kind of a conception that, that that was not that rare that well if it wasn't published it's subpar it wasn't published for a reason um you know, and that is as near as I can ascertain, that's completely gone at this Right.
1: Point. Instead of it being a side B, it just, yeah. it's all on side A.
2: You know, it, it's, it's now, and, 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 most collectors now will, will recognize there's a few exceptions, but most of them, you know, will even acknowledge if you pulled 50 collectors and you said, you know, what's going to be a better painting, a personal worker or a, a publisher commission, most of them would say the personal work.
0: Now is that because these commissions say in the '60s or '50s? Is that because maybe the illustration was perhaps more fine arty, or had less, you know, timeless aesthetic substance to it?
2: Um. Well, if you go back into the into the '50s or '60s, um, you know, then, then you're you're kind of in a whole different a whole different world. Um, Talking
0: about the time that you had mentioned, where the publishing association was paramount.
2: Oh, that that was that was like mid nineties. Okay. Um, that was you know, and and you know, and 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 that yeah, that was kind of in there. When you go back into the fifties and sixties, the, the art, the collectors who are collecting work from the forties, fifties, sixties, is kind of an entirely different breed.
0: Okay, so then what's changed since the mid nineties from uh, that has caused people to to not worry about the publishing aspect as much?
2: Um, You know, I think it's a combination of just more people being more involved with the art of the field rather than the nostalgia of the field. Um, I, I think that that's a big part of it where people are simply more and more and more are growing to recognize and appreciate and and value the art independent of any sort of nostalgic or or external connection.
0: Yeah, I think you're right about that cuz I you know, I think about my my childhood and youth, all I knew was comics. I I didn't know anything about fantasy art. There just wasn't a lot of um, you know, books and things that you could get on this sort of stuff. So I think you're totally right that the only place you would see it would be on the cover of its, you know, final resting place.
1: <laughs> final mm-hmm. resting place. Well, well, for me growing up, um, my my introduction to all this was all of the 19th century paintings. So that that's the fantasy art for me. So um, that's how someone like me got interested in all of this was because this is today's version of the 19th century's um, subject matter. It's just this is where it naturally went to. Um, it went to the fantasy covers and now it's kind of coming back to where it's just the art that we want to see, period.
2: That is that is absolutely that 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 is absolutely correct. Um, that that's exactly that's, you know, a a a chunk of of the the book that we're writing now. Um, oh, you know, that that's that's exactly what what has happened. Um, so, Aaron, the
0: the next question, is it dovetails nicely into that.
1: The um well, we wanted to find out if there's um. There's something that. Uh, that's on tap that we're we're not doing. Um and is that maybe that's it. Maybe it's kind of kind of blending that a little more.
2: Yeah, I I think you know I I think the the what 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 collectors want to see, what people outside the field want to see, whatever wanna see, they want to see that you're serious. Uh, they want to see that you're serious they want to see that you're creating they want to see that you you, you can do you know like those 19th century works that were your examples that were your exemplars uh, you know they want to see that you are painting the 21st century version of that not 19th century you know not waterhouse Light
1: <laughs> right, right, because
2: I mean, that stuff's all in museums, so we need we need new ones, right? <laughs> actually, actually, the vast majority of it is not in museums.
0: I'm kidding, I'm kidding.
2: Um, but it's an interesting thing. The majority of that work is in, is in the hands of private collectors because the museums either didn't buy it or decommissioned it. Mm-hmm. Right, didn't didn't want it anymore.
0: But it's out of our budget, so they need to get yes. you know the uh, the B minus water houses. <laughs> yes.
1: Well, just know we need to be creating the, the new na- the new household names to go along with the Waterhouse of the time because then, then we're just going to get back to what you were talking about earlier, Mike, with with having to trot out a name in order to get someone's attention.
0: Um, but see, this is what but, – but Pat said people aren't into the names. They want those subjects or those aesthetics – or those products on their wall, so it's it's not so much about building your Waterhouse name; it's about
2: just getting the product out there. It, it, it exactly. It's a case of, it, and, and that that will that comes into another to another question too. Right, but
1: we're still a uh, brand. We still have to yeah. brand ourselves.
2: Then, and, and that we think is one of your questions that you you had mentioned was, you know, what's what's something that you think artists are are doing in and presenting themselves that they're that they're getting wrong. Um and and you Jean know, and I were actually discussing it, you know, last night, um and we've we've discussed this before amongst ourselves. And 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 we think that the increasing by the day, it seems, reliance on being a brand, being a rock star, having the is not the right way to go, um, because there's a there seem there's there's a misconception that collectors, for example, respond to the brand. They really don't. Um, they respond to the art. You know. You, you know. I mean, everybody. Every significant collector, basically, in the in the in the field either owns or is trying to is trying to own a Donato you know but it's not because he's Donato it's not because he has the Donato brand it's not because he's in this workshop and that thing and this stuff and that guy it's because his work is fabulous you know it's
0: it's too much money to say oh I'm buying it for some you know crazy showpiece reason that isn't going to impress your friends who don't know the, who this guy is anyways. And you have to look at it for 30 years. So you better like it for the aesthetics first.
2: And, 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 it, and, and that, that's absolutely true. And it's the case of the the, the, the brand, what we see, unfortunately is we're seeing a lot of artists, not a lot of art, but we're seeing artists, young artists, particularly who are spending so much time branding that they're not really actually painting um and and so they're they're getting a brand but they don't actually have a body of work and you know that might get them you know that that you know that that might get them uh, you know more followers on their blog but it's not going to sell more paintings um, you know and, and i don 't even and i don 't even know that it actually gets them more you know illustration commissions
0: mm-hmm. it's it 's just keeping them at the same level or it 's keeping them w- with the same you know fan base and, and not growing it to the the fan base that has deeper pockets
1: right well theres has to be a certain amount of putting yourself out there or else people forget that you exist
2: well they they need they need, to, <sighs> they need to... I agree, but we're saying, but, but they, they don't need to see the brand; they need to see the work,
1: right? No, well, yeah, I guess I've always seen the work that I do that that represents who I am, and I, I, I guess we can, you know, the the what the brand is could be an argument. I, there, there's a little bit just in terms of like, at least for me the the kinds of things that I that I get to illustrate or I end up illustrating, you know you would think would be my brand or some of them would be, not everyone. Uh, not everything that that an illustrator I think does. What,
0: what Pat's saying is the brand is just a natural byproduct of what, what you do and right. people or what today you choose are, not to do. Right, but people today are, are the brand is, is part of the work and the effort which you know the payback isn't perhaps going to be the same as the payback just shutting up painting and trotting out you know three six foot tall paintings a year
2: well here's a question for you what was jeff jones's brand exactly you know that that would be an an, you know think of of you know some of the best artists you know the kind of universally agreed upon like
0: pre-internet you know. internet noise yeah right.
1: well i think well with that I, I think it's it's the aesthetic that he had like it given an assignment you could look at his body of work and you could get a you just knew that it wasn't going to end up looking uh um completely out of Range from what you've seen in the past, unless you literally asked for something out of the box. Same, you could say the same with like. Um, I think Brahm has a, a certain feel to his work that, where you know it's him.
2: Well, but, um, that, but so I, I would argue that that's not a brand, which goes beyond just the actual image making itself.
1: Uh, do, that's do we... the
2: style. Okay. Um, I mean, everyone really should have or or you know developing a distinctive style is really important um because otherwise well why buy your work as opposed to one of nine other people who look the same right. okay
0: can you clarify then what in your opinion is a brand that that is sort of wasted effort or a, what is a brand or what are brand efforts that people are engaging in that uh That aren't getting them further in the career.
2: Well, there's there's there seems to be there's a lot of a lot of involvement in kind of being in the right place at the right time with the right people and having the right business card and wearing the right shirt. I and think I- you're
0: right. I think we're going to just cancel our Elixcon tickets, right? <laughs> <laughs> and,
2: and I mean,
1: I'm I'm perfectly fine with being called out if I've done anything since it's us right here. I'm I'm fine with that and I can totally respect you for not calling someone out um uh because they're not here, but you know, if, if there was something that I did <laughs> or Mike did. Or Mike did. You could you could definitely call us out cuz that'd be it's just a learning thing. But uh, other than that, I I I you know, I get what you're saying about um I think we've you know, we've seen some of it um or experienced some of it to know I think
0: people are just doing it because it's it's just so competitive right now and you think that you're falling behind if if you don't, you know, bang a gong as loud as the guy next to you is banging a gong. Especially, you know, there's a lot of people that are, you know, like me, I don't consider myself someone that overly self-promotes, but I also can only go to one convention a year not living in the States. Mm. And I think there's a lot of people outside of the States that are probably, that feel that acutely too, you know, people that just can't get noticed or a foot in the door Or a portfolio review, or FaceTime, and so you know these things happen, and that noise just raises the din of the entire room of artists.
2: I think you're absolutely right, and and I think the internet helps and doesn't help. Um, You know, I mean, on one hand, you know, everybody now can can put their work out there for it to be seen, but getting it noticed becomes harder. Um, I mean, I, I think the, the, the real, maybe a, a better way to put the, you know, the, the, the kind of concerns that we have or that we've seen is that the, the ultimate way of getting noticed is to produce really great stuff. And we see, you seem to see people who are concentrating less on producing really great stuff. And more on getting mediocre stuff noticed, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I think you're totally right. Like the funny thing is, like Peter (laughs) Miscelja just started his Facebook page, and he's you know got just north of 200 uh, likes on his fan page, which you know to uh, to the internet uh, internet savvy people today. You know, somebody that doesn't know him or his quality, he's, he's lagging. You know, he's lagging your average college student in that respect. And I look at guys like Mark Zug, who, uh, by the way, listeners, we are going to try to have on for a nice interview sometime in the not too distant future. Um, I just see Mark Zug as well, and other guys of of his ilk being, you know, really quiet from the promotional standpoint. Um, can you talk about those sorts of guys and, and how, how perhaps they're viewed from a collector standpoint?
2: Um, yeah. From a collector standpoint, um, both are quite popular. Um, you know, Peter Mazzelja is, you know, ever, ever since he came, I mean, actually, I, you know, I, I, uh, I, two friends who actually own uh Mazelja's even before he ever came to IlixCon. Um, you know, but since then, you know, most of the collectors that I know either, you know, have one or are get or or want one. Um, you know, because they saw the work. Um and he's fabulous. And and that's the key. If you 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 need to promote to the level that people see your stuff. Beyond that, the further promotion is really not going to do you a whole lot of good. If the work is good enough when people see it, oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I need that.
0: Maybe oh. it's more about targeting then.
2: Yeah, well, it's and, and see the, the other thing too is you know there's also a difference you know we're speaking, you know, here about the collector market um, you know, and 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 what has the effect on the collector market, and what do collectors pay attention to and not pay attention to? Um, you know, and it may be that a lot of these self promotional activities, you know, get you work at Blizzard, and so are valid for from that perspective. I don't, I don't actually know honestly how effective that kind of marketing is or isn't in terms of getting. You know, in terms of getting jobs from publishers, um, but from collectors it's really not that beneficial you know once they once they know who you are, once they 've seen your work, okay i 've seen the work i'm I'm familiar with this person beyond that it it really further hype doesn't really help much because um, if they 've seen the work, they either like it enough to buy or they don 't mm-hmm. um,
0: we have a question that I think dovetails nicely there. Um, What are artists doing today in terms of marketing and selling their works that perhaps they should abandon as soon as possible, knowing what you know about the present market. So I think you just mentioned too much, uh, not to the right people. Don't waste your time on from the collector standpoint, uh, the daily updates of, you know, every little sketch that you're working on what other marketing and selling efforts are we are we doing wrong or can improve with
1: is there something specific that might be like that that's something that you get from the show where this is maybe it's an in person thing
2: um well there i mean i don't think that anybody's particularly doing anything wrong uh, I mean, there, you know, there are you know, very, very specific little things like, you know, if you are exhibiting at a show, for God's sakes, put prices on stuff. Uh, <laughs> you know, Artists will never know how many sales they lose because they don't do that. Um, you know, I mean, just just very, very little, you know, very specific things like that. But that is a huge. Thing. It drives me insane when people don't put prices and stuff. Um, you know, I mean, but but generally, you know, There is more, I think, I I think there's a growing, actually, in fact, I know that's actually a really good, uh, a really good question. Um, there seems to be a growing involvement with the artists. Um, I notice, like the, the secondary market is much quieter. Um, because more and more collectors seem to be spending more and more of their money buying directly from the artists. Mm -hmm. Um, and in a lot of cases, you know, they like, they like to know the artist. They like to talk to the artist. They, you know, I mean, you know, 99.9% of the artists in this field are, are really cool people, you know, um, (laughs) So I think when it comes to a show environment or that kind of, there is, there is somewhat of that going on. Um, and, and I know I will, I will actually freely admit, you know, that, you know, there, there are, you know, there are paintings that have not been, been purchased for our collection because the artist is an asshole. Um, you know, they're, uh, they're fabulous paintings.
1: I'm you know, working on it, Pat. I'm working on it. The <laughs> asshole part? Yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: I mean, you know, literally that's I know other I know other collectors have done the same thing. You know, so so that kind of personal that personal connection, that personal thing is there. Mm-hmm. I mean it is it is a real thing. Um, you know, I don't think broadly it's huge.
0: I had another question though. I was going to mention it before, but you mentioned the secondary market. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a question about people, when they come to IluxCon. you know, there's 200 artists with, you know, 10 paintings each, and it's just bountiful. Um, Now, in the secondary market on eBay and in the general interwebs, is there a, a kind of a misunderstanding that this work is available or that how rare it is or its value. Do you think the in-person contact with the art ha- that we have, do we have a different vantage point of the industry than collectors that don't go to these conventions or perhaps see the work on the secondary market?
2: Um, I don't think that there's a, a major variance in terms of, of, of perceived value. Um, You know, most, I mean, assuming, I mean, of course you've always got the, you know, the person that, oh yeah, well I bought this painting from Larry Elmore at Gen Con in 1982 for, you know, $400. And so I'm putting it up on eBay for $500 because I've not paid any attention to anything. I mean, but, but barring that, you know, very isolated kind of circumstance. um, You know, I, I really don't think that there's, there's a great deal of, of variance in terms of the the perceived value, except in isolated instances. I mean, there are a couple of kind of oddball instances where, where you've got some artists in the field right now where their secondary market value is far lower than their primary market value, which is kind of odd. Do they uh,
1: even know about it, though?
2: You know, and, and But the thing is, their primary market value, they sell. That's the weird thing. If they didn't sell, it wouldn't be weird.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, I asked this because I see like r- some really really crappy old Magic cards on eBay for really high prices. So you've got some people that you know are thinking this stuff is more rare than it is or that it's you know that maybe they think that people can't get better stuff freely.
2: Well, well normally when you see that kind of thing, it usually like with particularly like with the Magic cards um you know it's people pricing them as very rare quote unquote very rare magic collectibles mm-hmm. um rather than as artwork
0: is that disingenuous or is that a common perception
2: um, honestly well, I couldn't tell you uh I mean among art collectors, certainly it's not the case i mean among the broader millions of magic card you know magic gamers. You know, I I don't know what their what their kind of perception of that situation would be. I
1: think okay. it might come in the, the definitions where you, you just were describing it under the collectible collectibles market rather than the fine art market and the collectibles is right up there with, you know, uh old old whiskey bottles and uh time pieces and stuff.
0: It's just I, I haven't been paying attention to this for that long, but I noticed that when when good magic art is currently listed on eBay, it sells really fast for, for decent prices. Mm-hmm. And and that same work, you know, at elixcon let's say, might get passed
2: by because of just the volume of choice. Well, you you do have that. Um, because you, you you know, when you're when something is showing up on eBay or something is showing up at Heritage, um, you know, which would be the principal auction source now, um, you know, it, it generally is not surrounded by a thousand other things uh, of 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 a similar nature, you know. And there's
0: going to be people looking at it that have different perceptions of
2: the market. Be, well. There there be different perceptions of the market, and also it's kind of you know if you go on eBay and you look for you know, good magic card art, how many are you going to find at any one time? You know, as opposed to if you go to Illuxcon and look for good magic art.
1: It's all over the place.
2: It's all over the place.
1: What about the 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 other side of um, some of the, the collecting from the artist's point of view in, in not selling? Does that ever come up? Um, as a as a fear uh, or as um just something that isn't really I don't know because I know we all know Frazetta never sold his stuff and and it just grew in value. I know a couple other illustrators that they don't sell any of their work either. Um maybe you don't have to, so you just don't want to deal with it. Or you know, maybe it's a personal investment. Is that is that something that you guys discuss at all
2: yeah there there's a couple of different uh you know there's a couple of different bases you know kind of behind that um and you know there, there there's the mix of you know uh someone like Alan Lee at this point um you know who will not sell any of his Tolkien pieces, any of his Mabindosian pieces any of that art. It's a legacy for his children um, that's that's it. They're, you know, and Alan, of course, doesn't need the money, um, you know, so you know that that's a decision and, and, and I've heard you know other artists you know doing that where it's, well, it's for my kids, it's for the legacy, it's for the thing. Um, you know, and then there are some other artists who have handled things like uh, like Justin Sweet used to um you know which is well i don't produce a lot of oil paintings you know cuz most of what i do is digital i don't make a lot of oil paintings so you know i'm going to put relatively high prices on them and if they don't sell i don't care i'm fine with that you know if they do that's great um you know but on the flip side of course then you also have you know all of the stories of the artist who's you know 70 or 80 years old and gets sick and dies or is ill or whatever. And his house is just filled with artwork that's then left to a wife or a child or whatever, who has no idea what to do with it. And it's this huge morass that either nothing appropriately gets done with, or it just kind of leaks into the market or floods into the market or it's not, and it's not handled very well. Because there wasn't any plan for handling it, um, you know. So, you know, there's there's differing ways that that you can kind of look at that, um, you know, the, as far as what's the best. I mean, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I would just I would think the best is to sell, but not necessarily everything. You know, you you want to sell regularly. Um, you know, but. Hey, if, you know, your, you know, three favorite, most important, most impressive pieces haven't sold, you know, yeah, you don't want to reduce the prices on them to sell them. Those you just keep, you know, um, I think, I think that's kind of the, the, the structure. Um, It does, it does, in a sense, I mean, it does make, well, I don't know. It doesn't really make collectors want them. Well, it makes collectors want them more a little bit.
0: (laughs) I think if you're trying to like game the system like that, you know, you're just going to waste a lot of effort. It's going to happen differently for different artists.
2: The reality is, I think that, you know, if, if the artist genuinely does not care about selling anything, you know, then it will actually probably work interestingly enough. Uh, But my guess is the artist who attempts to game the system by creating an artificial scarcity, but they really do want to sell that tends not to work so well.
0: You might misjudge your actual desirability.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, You know where, okay, we're going to make the, okay. And that's great. And then the end result is that nothing sells. Mm Hmm. Um, you know, and then, then when things are made available, nobody buys them. Um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a, you know, that there's, there's, there's the level of want versus the level of unattainable. Um, and at some point in the unattainable realm, collectors stop bothering to look for it anymore.
0: So here's the question other than going to illuxcon. Once a year, how, how do we have a collector's market? How do we, how do we have a profile in that market the other part of
2: the year? Well, I think the the best way, I mean, what, what, what happens is, you know, everyone is running, you know, everyone has a blog, everyone has a website, everyone's, you know, on on, on a Facebook everyone's on you know just they, they, there's a presence where your work can kind of be seen um, but the, I think the the real key is that a lot of what goes on over the the span of a year is kind of an expansion out of some of the the more isolated, instances of, of of your work being seen or or products being seen with with your work on them um, i don't think that there really is a specific um i mean you know you can you, know, you can post to the illustration exchange or you can post i mean you yeah, know but I, but there isn't there really isn't a broad ongoing physical community
0: maybe comic art Fans.com, is that one of the larger ones?
2: That would be the closest, yeah. I mean, that's certainly by far the largest. Um, And, uh, you know, that involvement is there. I'm trying to think of – I'm just trying to think of how – I'm just trying to run back over my head over conversations I've had in the last six months, uh, you know, with collectors where they're talking about wanting something. uh, Like, like at
0: one point, I thought about starting some sort of store website – that was, you know, all this stuff, just traditional art by vetted, you know, pros, that could be a one-stop shop. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, I didn't do that, but, uh, you know, I don't know collectors. I'm hooked up to just other artists and the odd fan, Um, but where do the two meet?
2: Uh, Well, collectors would, would definitely like that. Uh, because there, there isn't, in fact, uh, really any any broad engine.
0: Okay, I'll I'll send you an email and then maybe you could do
2: that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next weekend, though, we'll
1: just, uh, uh, just you know. bang it out. There's a
2: theme for it already. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but there really isn't a broad engine uh, for that you know i mean for 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 really you know for most of the 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 purchases that they're, they're from you know individual artists individually seen that collectors see and and, and like their work mm-hmm. but i mean, is it we need what it...
0: Elixcon brings in the in the physical sense we need that to somehow exist more than you know 5 days a year and what i'm talking about is something that is Not necessarily juried, but where it doesn't eventually get watered down by too much self-promo, too much digital art, you know, too much newcomers, you know, confusing the actual nuggets that collectors are, are,
2: you know, Mm. most
0: interested about that will bring the traffic.
2: Well, we had talked about kind of expanding... Um, you know, the, we, we're, we're launching a new Elixcon website July 1st. Um, and, uh, and, and as part of that, there are now galleries for the, the exhibiting artists.
0: And that will be Elixcon.com?
2: Still, yeah, it'll still be Elixcon.com. We're just ditching the horrible, awful existing site that we both hate and haunts our dreams. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we talked about kind of expanding that uh into a you know a, a larger or, or some kind of larger version than just the show um you know or larger than just the show artists so that there was in fact some kind of an ongoing annual presence um you know or that there would be a possibility for artists to be showcased in that without actually exhibiting at the show um so that it wasn't limited by the same you know physical constraints of the show um but it's not anything that we've you know gone forward and done either Mm -hmm. uh but it would probably be a good thing uh it would be a a helpful i mean i mean any any kind of a any kind of a gathering place you know is is helpful and uh you know and, and collectors also follow you know they'll they'll you know, there, there are a lot of the collectors are friends with each other.
0: You right. I think, um, I think so we better sort of wrap up. I think we've covered on most of what we were going to cover on. Um, really great, great advice you've given us. A um, couple last things, I guess, just talking about then the con, Um what kind of work would uh, would you guys like to see at IlexCon in the future that you've not seen represented at most cons and that your experience has led you to believe might open doors for more lucrative markets? Um, I think we touched on that a bit. You were talking about you know our versions of Tatamas and whatnot. Um, is, is that is that correct? And is IlexCon – is the market growing enough that these things can progress down the same direction at the same time? Will the collectors meet up with the artists when the artists start making, you know, eight foot wide paintings that are an investment of of a month of their time?
2: Um, well, I don't think that that you know, I, but, you know, I don't I don't think like that you know, your versions of like all my and stuff specifically. Uh, I mean, but I mean, but just large, major works. I think that's the thing. I mean, and we, we, we're seeing it. We see more of it every year um, at the show, but we'd like to see even more yet um, because that's something else that, that, you know, also is a factor when you look at the question of, you know, well, how do you bridge the price gap between illustration and fine art? Um, you know, well, if you go to, you know, a major figurative art gallery, um, you look at some of the, you know, particularly some of the hot young artists like look like a Jeremy Man, um, you know, or or many of those artists, you'll notice that they don't paint small, mm-hmm. um, they're large, and lar- that helps command a higher price. Um, I mean, to that extent, size does matter.
0: Well, you've uh, had Jean Frank talk uh, a number of times, and one thing she does say is, is size is the only. The only tangible determiner of value. She says, you know, subject quality are all, you know, completely to the eye of the beholder, but, but size is a recognized, you know, tangible fact. And, uh, you know, I guess you got to think about rich people have big houses with big walls.
1: <laughs> right. Well, that huh. that's sort of what drove the whole, um, uh, abstract market Easy to and cheap to produce at bigger and bigger sizes since, and they were so quick to pump out. So, um,
2: yep. But but, you know, I I think exactly, but I think, but I mean, but you want to go, you know, you want to, you know, I mean, yes, it's really cool that, you know, Mark Fishman painted, you know, the gates of Valhalla nine feet high, um, you know, but finding a buyer for a nine foot high painting is a challenge. <laughs> but
1: like you said, this is our our, our almost our version of marketing.
2: Exactly. Um, well, what you want to do is, you know, but but you know, if if I were going to go, I mean, I think a great range to have some work in, not everything, not exclusively, um, you know, but is to have have some stuff in that thirty by forty to forty by sixty range. Um, You know, where it's big, you know, it's noticeably large, it looks big, it seems big, it is not in any way small, but the average person can in fact still fit paintings of that size into their house. Um, And, you know, I mean, the reality is, you know, you you show off a a, a kick butt five foot high painting or four foot high painting or three, that's going to have a lot of impact. Um, you know, yes, you know, I I, I personally am curious to see what Mark Fishman shows up with this year when he actually has a museum wall that's 14 feet high to hang on. Um, you know, and, and and yes, you, you could, you know, you, you could get results from, from gigantic, but I don't honestly think it even needs to be gigantic. It doesn't need to be the raft of the Medusa, you know, um, it, it just, just needs to be, substantive in size. I know a lot of people in the field don't paint a lot in that size bracket. You know, they're in the, you know, 12 by 16 to, you know, 18 by 28 kind of size bracket.
0: Yeah. I mean, last year I did the exact same thing that you described with John Harris where uh, I brought my work all 12 by 16 or 11 by 14 uh, because they fit in carry-on luggage. Mm-hmm. And then I packed the frames uh, in a separate luggage. And uh, in in the dark ballroom, you know, they didn't stand out because, you know, a lot of detail, you know, in a work can make it even darker. And, and uh, when you've got a room full of talking people and big pictures and chaos, it, it's pretty hard to grab people's attention when there isn't you know, something like a stop sign in front of your face. And <laughs> and I particularly remember you, Pat, running around, you know, because you've got so much to do at the showcase. And I had to physically stop you and say, hey, Pat, look at my stuff here. <laughs> and you stopped and gave me your, you know, sort of 30-second, uh, yes, I'm not going to be rude to you, um, token gesture, but – then you were like hey wow you know you you bent down you looked at the paintings you know up close and and you realized that you know that i had brought some good stuff but if i hadn't if i hadn't have grabbed your arm you would have walked right by my stuff
2: well basically at Illinois cover pretty pretty much if you don't grab we will walk by anything mhm uh you know by the time the show is is underway but you but you you you've got exactly the right the exactly the right point um you know you 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 want you, you want to be able to make impact. Um and whether it's at an illuscon or whether it's you know on a blog, you know, and of course size doesn't give you as much benefit, of course, if you're not, you know. Um, but even then actually, you know, honestly, it does. Uh if you're listing sizes. Uh you know, because collectors notice. You know, we see something on a thing and it says it's you know 12 by 16. You know, versus it says it's four foot by eight foot. Uh, you know, they do no- take note of the fact that oh wow, that's a really big piece. You know that that's cool. Um, you know, so I think that that would be the 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 biggest thing that I can think of about what we we'd like to see more of at the show would be more. Of those large and you know complex personal works that really showcased the absolute best that the artist is capable of. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, do you have anything to say about the uh, the programming and panels for the next Deluxe Con coming up?
2: <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, yeah, we will be. Uh, there will actually be more programming. Uh, at this ILX Con than than previous Elkskons um you know,
1: <laughs> that's uh, a, it's a lot to deal with since it's the, sometimes that's the best stuff and then you're like I want to see the art
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: well basically b- because the show is a day longer uh this year um instead of having 2 days of programming there's 3 days of programming and we've got more rooms for more tracks uh, which is the advantage of dealing with the Baum School of Art for a lot of our programming space, as opposed to Penn State, uh, as the Baum School, you know, cares about art programming, and Penn State really doesn't. Um, so there will be more programming. There will be multiple multiple tracks every day, uh, and it is going to run the gamut. Uh, we're still working on the programming schedule. Obviously, we don't, you know, have everything determined yet, but. Uh, going to be some fabulously cool stuff, everything from, you know, a la prima oil painting demos uh, to a lecture on the neurocognitive processing of art um, to uh, lectures on the the classic reimagining fairy tales uh, to, you know, the usual art director roundtable, live crits. Um, there's just going to be a, a wide, you know, Greg Hildebrandt's going to be doing a lecture on color theory. Um, you know, um, Eric Gist is doing a lecture on cinematography, uh, for illustrators, uh, just a whole big mass, wide range of, of stuff. Um, and of course I think that there will also be another art pack presentation, uh, this year, which is something that everyone should go see and pay attention to. Yes. (laughs)
0: Yes. <laughs> well,
1: we might, we but we may at that point, uh, if it all goes through, it might be why it didn't work, or or we'll be celebrating it. Um, it will be one or the other.
0: Yeah, I, at, at that point, I think Art Pact will have come to some sort of conclusion. So, uh, you know, it's definitely going to be an update. Um, it's all up in the air at this point, but people should, if you're on. Facebook, uh, search out Art Pact, and if you're on the, the normal interwebs, no, we don't have a website, do we? Well,
1: that's the this is to build it, so yeah, right now it just exists on uh, right in Indiegogo.
0: But anyone interested in what we're talking about, just listen to the previous Drawn Today podcast, and and if you're a, a friend of any one of ours on Facebook, I'm I'm sure you know by now what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Uh all right guys so is there anything else uh I think this was a really good conversation I I got to thank you Pat it was uh it was deeper than than I had hoped for even and uh I was thinking maybe 45 minutes we'd chat but uh man this has been just gold
2: Well, well cool. I hope hope that I was able to come up with something that was useful <laughs> <laughs> Um,
1: it's all been useful and, you know, informative, even if we were asking questions we might have known answers to, but it's sort of to get it out there for everybody. I,
0: th- I think it's just a good conversation to have for people to to plan, you know, going to LXCon and, and to have career strategies and all this kind of stuff. And, and for people that have never been to LXCon or, or can't go, these are things that are just, it's just going to, Shave years of wasted effort off of your professional life. It's amazing. So thanks, Pat.
2: Oh hey, thank you. I'm always always delighted to be to be on and, and to talk and help and provide any sort of useful anything that uh that we can provide.
0: Yeah, and I mean I don't know, don't have to say this on the air, but anything we can do for AlexCon, just ask to. It must be like a huge expense and a huge time commitment. But uh, I mean, Khan and I i could probably speak for Aaron as well as just been. You can't speak for me. <laughs> okay. I
1: won't.
0: It's, it's been like a real key ingredient to our generation of, of traditional artists and painters getting, getting a foothold and getting started doing this. So without Elixcon, uh it would be a, you know, you wouldn't have this whole new generation coming up with. Yeah. Uh, there's probably I could name you know ten to fifteen of us that have gained significant career direction from elixcon So, uh, congrats. Well, mine Pat. pretty
1: much started the year ilixcon started, so it's it's interesting that I can follow my my path with the anniversaries of a few events that started the same year. hmm so. Me
0: too. Yeah. And I mean, it's obviously because there's so many of us who have had the same trajectory with the same events. You know, you can't help but say Illexcon has has had to be a major player in in the uh, the furthering of our goals because it's just too coincidental that it wouldn't be. So,
1: yeah. So, so thanks,
0: I'm... Pat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's all your fault.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, thank you. That, that that means a lot to hear um that, that that's that's always been the goal um and so it, it's it's really good to hear that you know it in, in some ways it, at least it's working um you know that was that was always one of the things that we really wanted is to you know to help you know kind of to help young artists uh help people and particularly to encourage people hey you do digital that's great but have you ever thought about trying traditional you know and, and to kind of encourage people to hey this is something maybe you might want to consider you want to look at you know we we've we've you know you know one of the things that we're proudest of is some of the you know the people that we've managed to you know gently or not so gently in some cases um you know steer into doing at least some work both tradition you know traditionally as well as digitally um you know to give them kind of the option and give them sort of the you know, the, 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 the greater breadth. I mean, honestly, my opinion is that's probably the ideal solution uh, for an illustrator with, with, with the current, the current market, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, is to do some work digitally and some work traditionally.
0: Mm-hmm. But, you know, with what you've said in the podcast is is there's these complete new avenues too with bringing in a new audience and defining yourself differently through through the collector market and in different scale of works, so all these things just provide us with options, which is uh, really what we need at this point in time.
2: Well, that, so, that, that's that, that that that's that's literally the goal. I mean, that's literally what we we, we gave a presentation I think two years ago at Eulogicon. That's literally what what the goal was was just you know not to make people choose, not to do either or, not but just for you to have choices. Because uh, right now, you know, you, 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 there aren't a lot and, and you need to have more options and you need to have, you know, more, more choices. You know, there's, you know, every now and then you'll hear the, you know, the kind of, you know, random, you know, blurbiage that, oh, this is the platinum age of fantasy art and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it is unless you're actually trying to make a living as a fantasy artist. Right. Um, you know and and it, it it really can be uh you know kind of the beginning of a whole new structure you know if uh you know if, if everyone actually or, or at least you know enough people actually move in that direction and kind of look at it that way and consider it that way and, and take advantage of you know any any opportunity they have and 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 aren't you know, aren't too concerned with with the uncomfortability to not stretch mm. uh, and not reach. I mean, I mean, we, For example, I mean, we know people. I mean, personally, we know artists who did not submit to the ARC Salon uh, because they are afraid that the fine art people will look down on them um and for that reason they didn't submit to the salon well they would have gotten into the salon they would have been finalists they might have you know they're very good you know they would have been perfectly well liked um but there's so much embedded history of you no know, this is how it works this is how we do things this is how the illustration this is the thing and that it can be difficult to kind of break out of that you know to kind of stretch beyond that mindset
1: we gotta um, change the is. <laughs> this, the like when you're saying this is the way it is. That's that's the part that has to change.
2: Well, the th- the thing is the 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 is is changing. It, it's changing on its own, you know, um, and, and so you, you, that's going to happen regardless. Um, the question is whether artists are working. With that change, acknowledging that change, accepting that change and kind of, you know, expanding themselves in the direction that will work with that change or busy saying, you know, no, that change is not really happening. And no, it's it's not actually happening to me. And, you know, no, no 19 year old Wacom jockey from Argentina is going to take my gigs. <laughs> uh, and that uh, doesn't work so well.
1: I like that Wacom jockey. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, it, that's me sometimes.
2: Yeah, I mean, but the thing is that that will happen. Uh, I have I have it, it's already starting to happen, um, and I have no doubts. I mean, just if nothing else, just looking at the Elixicon scholarship submissions. Um, yeah. You know, with with digital work. Digital clientele. There is no bar or location in the world. Doesn't matter, um, and there's a boatload of people. Mm-hmm. In South America. So,
1: with the is that just submit anything, even digital, for the scholarship portion? Yeah,
2: the scholarships are are not traditional only. Ooh,
1: that makes it difficult, doesn't it?
2: Um, you know, the the scholarships are open to open to any of the you know anybody because. You know, we want the best young artists to be exposed to the best traditional media. Uh, maybe they're digital now, doesn't mean they'll be digital three years from now.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, um, so, that, so the scholarships are open to anyone. Um, and uh, and we've, we get a lot of, of scholarship submissions from South America, from Eastern Europe, um, from actually Africa. Uh, I, don't think we've actually, I don't think we've gotten any from China. Uh, technically speaking, but, but yeah. just everywhere else. Yeah. Um, you know, but but there there's a lot of and, and this particular field is really popular um in, in, in a lot of you know the the you know overseas markets. It's a really, really popular field. Mm-hmm. Um and and literally what will eventually you know what, what's going to occur is you're gonna see the same thing that happened in the VFX community. Uh, you know where? Okay, I, you know, I'll, 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 you know, commission an artist in Shanghai to do this, because it's only five bucks. You know, Aaron's going to charge me, you know, one hundred and fifty dollars for this. Mm-hmm. You
0: know? no, it's true. I think you know we we all the guys, Aaron and I, the working illustrators. We know it. I mean, whenever you're doing a hundred and fifty dollar illustration that takes you. Two or three days, you know, it's it's right there in the forefront of your mind that uh, this isn't working as it is. And if it gets any worse, it, you know, you need options. So thanks, Elixcon, for giving us some options.
2: <laughs> well, well, we, 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 we hope to continue to give you more and better options. Okay.
0: Well, we hope everybody uh, coming to Elixcon has their wallet full of options. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well thanks a lot Pat. Uh, this has been super duper. So uh maybe you Pat you can give us the uh PR bit of where we can find information about Ilixcon one last time.
2: Sure, you can uh find out all about Ilixcon either on our website which is www.ilixcon.com uh or via the Ilixcon Facebook page if Facebook deems to actually show it to you. Uh <laughs> which is uh, www.facebook.com/iluxcorp.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Drawn Today podcast. Remember to like the Drawn Today podcast on Facebook to get updates when new episodes are released. The music for this episode was by Bait. Tune in again and in the meantime, remember to draw every day.